Thank you, Brother David, for leading us in music and the red word this morning and for your attentiveness over the, over the past couple of weeks as you've been planning and, and making sure that our, right now I'm just buying time to get the hum out of the, thank you for your study the past several weeks as you have um, sought to make sure that what we do today flows from the text of scripture, particularly in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13 this morning. And Anna, thank you for filling in at such a last minute notice. Let it be known that I asked her a few months ago to fill in and she told me no. <laughs> so, but for good reason, she was unavailable, but I'm glad you were able to fill in for us today. I may or may not have texted someone yesterday that, oh, Perhaps she might be a good person to peg for a certain role in the band moving forward. So thank you, sister, for, for leading us in playing along the piano this morning in that way. Um, I do want to say it is such a joy to, to be in this pulpit. It's been a pulpit that's been uh, used for faithful proclamation of the word for uh, many years, uh, not just in Pastor Lewis's tenure, but even prior to that, and so I'm thankful for one more uh, opportunity to get to proclaim God's word to you this morning. I do want it to be known, let it be made known. Pastor Lewis, Jimmy Bozeman has already approached me this morning. He said, I don't think this will be your last time preaching at Woodlawn. So you have to make sure that you don't make him a liar. All right, I, ex I want an invite. I want an invite to come back. Preaching music, I don't care what it is. But I do look forward to being back uh, here in the future again one day, even if it's just visiting. You, you are uh, precious to me as a church family, and, and my family is so thankful for you all and the impact you've had in our lives. And, and we look forward to that impact being a lasting one, uh, even, even as we seek to serve in a new place. Well, this morning we are in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. I want to turn your attention there. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let us pray. Father, we are indeed thankful for your word. Now as we turn our attention to your word proclaimed here from 2 Timothy, help us to discern its meaning for us, that Lord, we might apply your word to our lives and be people that reflect the truths found in your word. Lord, as we sit underneath your word now, lead us by your spirit 
through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are a forgetful people. We are a forgetful people. When we think about where we've been in our own preaching here at Woodlawn in Exodus, it's really easy to see just how forgetful the people of God can be at times. We'll look primarily at Exodus for that this morning, but it's not limited to there. We see it throughout, especially in the Old Testament, how God's people were a forgetful people, and we need to understand that we ourselves too tend to be a forgetful people, hence the exhortations we find in scriptures even for us today. But think about what we see in the Old Testament. We've been going through Exodus. We are in Exodus 5, last week in Exodus 5, 22, through a good portion of chapter 6, and we know what's coming soon, right? The next thing that's coming up for us is the 10 plagues enacted upon Egypt that God's people might be released from their captivity there. The last one, the last plague, leads to the Passover. What was the Passover? The Passover was a time when God said that the firstborn in all the land of Egypt would die, but there was a way you could avoid this happening to your own family. This was to take the, the blood of the lamb and place it on the doorpost, and when, when the spirit would come by and see that, he would pass over, hence the word Passover. He would pass over and would spare the firstborn in those homes. And this is what ultimately led to the people of Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt. Listen to a few words here in 1214 as we think about the idea of remembering this great work of God. In chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 14, we see this. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Here we see God wants his people to remember what he has done for them. And so he leads them to establish this feast of remembrance. If we skip further down, verse 29, verse 29, we actually see the plague, the death of the firstborn take place. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. It goes on to explain to us what indeed that Passover, that plague looked like for the people who did not observe the Passover. And then in verse 33, it says, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So we see how this led to the people of Israel being freed from slavery. And then we get to the next chapter, chapter 13, verse 3, following their exodus. It says this, then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten today in the month of Habib. You are going out. He goes on and on to tell how they are to remember the people having been delivered from captivity in Egypt are to remember what, how God had led them out. They even celebrate in a song over in chapter 15, after crossing the Red Sea and the sea being parted, but swallowing up their enemies, 
They sing a song in chapter 15, this song of Moses, celebrating the deliverance of God in their own lives. But remember, we are a forgetful people. So in chapter 15, as they celebrate this deliverance, it takes not long before in verse 24 of chapter 15, we see them forgetting. Verse 24 says, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Oh, how soon they have forgotten how God had provided for them thus far, delivering them from Egypt, helping them cross through the Red Sea. And now already they are grumbling and forgetting that God had provided for them as they grumble for water. But God here provides for them. He gives them water. He quenches their thirst. And guess what happens next? They forget again. Again, it doesn't take long. Chapter 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Not only have they forgotten that God has provided for them, now, not only that, they have rejected the deliverance of the Lord. They would rather be back in their slavery, back in captivity in Egypt, if it meant that they could eat from the pots that were there. Oh, how quickly they have forgotten the Lord's work in their life. Well, God fed them. He provided for them. They ate and were satisfied. Chapter 17, verse 3. Again, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Again, how quickly they have forgotten. And we jump over to texts like Exodus chapter 20, we see the law given to the people. And the second commandment says this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So they, God has given his people his word, told them how they are to live in obedience. And this particular commandment says, do not make for yourself a carved image and worship that. How well do you think the people remembered that command? Exodus 32, what do they do? They craft a golden calf and worship it. How quickly we forget. And in 1 Samuel, one last example, 1 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 12. The people of God, Israel, are being chased by the Philistines, and God provides for them deliverance. If we begin reading in verse 10, we can see this. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. 
But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel, listen to this, took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now, the Lord has helped us. Friends, when you hear the word Ebenezer, it's not a grumpy old man who doesn't like Christmas. It's a stone of remembrance reminding the people of God that God has brought them thus far. It's the reason when we sing, come thou fount of every blessing, that we say, here I raise my Ebenezer. Why? For it is by God's help that we have come thus far. And us, for us, in a much more fuller way, not realized by the people of him, because we have the one whom we are to remember, Jesus Christ. But we are often a forgetful people. As we think about Paul's second letter to Timothy, by the way, this would be Paul's final letter ever. After this letter, he would lose his life fighting for the gospel. So he writes to Timothy one last time, encouraging Timothy, exhorting Timothy to take this baton from his hand. He is about to release the baton as he goes on to live and, ex- and, and live and experience that eternal life that comes from God through Christ. And as he begins to make that transition, He is reminding Timothy about the call that Timothy has in his own life. And as he begins his final letter, he sets the tone of remembrance from the very beginning. In a lot of ways, this entire letter is a letter of remembrance to Timothy. Listen to how Paul sets the tone at the beginning of 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. From the very beginning, Paul is reminding Timothy to remember Jesus. What exactly does he want Timothy to do? This theme of remembering carries on throughout the first chapter. Look at verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers. Verse 4, as I remember your tears. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. So who's doing the remembering here? Paul. Paul is being reminded of these things. But look in verse 6 how the attention changes from Paul being reminded to him wanting Timothy to be reminded. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so now, as as Paul is about to pass on the baton to Timothy, 
He wants to remind him of the gift that was given to him. We can see this gift in 1 Timothy chapter 4 as, they, as the elders laid hands on him and, and entrusted with him this gift of preaching in the church of Ephesus. And so now Paul is reminding him of this gift he has been given. Why does he want Paul to remember this? Verse 8, we see these imperatives. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Later on in that same verse, share in suffering. He wants Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel. In addition to that, he wants him to share in the suffering, knowing that suffering is to be expected of those who faithfully serve Christ. And then in chapter 2, he shares the analogy of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. What's the soldier's purpose? To please the one who enlisted him. What's the athlete's purpose? To finish the race, but not just finish the race, but to finish the race according to the rules. For to finish the race against the rules is not to finish the race at all. And then a farmer, a hardworking farmer endures and benefits from the first share of the crops. And so he reminds Timothy of this, be that soldier who pleases the one who has enlisted him Be that athlete who plays according to the rules and finishes the race. Be that farmer who endures, knowing that you will receive the first fruit of the crops. And then we arrive at our text this morning, 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. This is the... This is the way, this is the means by which Paul intends to make sure that Timothy fulfills his obligation of enduring in ministry, not being ashamed of the gospel, sharing in suffering. He says, remember Jesus Christ. But listen to this. He doesn't say just simply remember Jesus. He doesn't say just hey, remember Jesus. You knew that guy, right? Just generally know him. No, he says, remember Jesus Christ, what? Risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. What is Paul communicating here? He's communicating the conquering work of Christ. Not simply, by the way, I didn't say not, but I'm saying not simply his suffering, his life his death, his burial. Yes, that of course, but with a focus on his conquering work. He is the risen one. As the offspring of David, he is the promised Messiah who reigns today. I've been so appreciative of hearing many times over Pastor Travis as he has talked about the gospel, how frequently we are quick to leave Jesus on the cross. Friends, Jesus didn't simply die for your sins. Because if he only died for your sins, your sins have not been conquered. He was buried and he was risen, conquering sin and death. We don't have a Savior who is dead. We have a Savior who is alive. Do not leave Jesus on the cross as you remember him in your words and in your actions. All that you do, Do not leave Jesus on the cross. He is risen from the dead. He is the promised Messiah. 
tell all people of what he has done and let what he has done through his resurrection and reign today be the motivating factor behind your own service to God through Christian ministry. Listen to what Paul says here after stressing to remember Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' promise as the offspring of David. He says, as preached in my gospel. Does that catch you by surprise a little bit? Does it seem a little odd that Paul would say, my gospel? Well, you have to understand, in this context, there are so many counterfeit gospels. Paul wanted to make sure to Timothy that he understood there is but one gospel. And when he says, my gospel, he doesn't mean the gospel that he created or he made up himself, but a gospel that is founded on the word of God revealed to Paul himself. We see it in 2 Timothy, if we look later on, we see him call out by name those preaching a false gospel. Paul reminds Timothy, hey, the true gospel, stick to that. Even in our own context today, do we see false gospels? Do we see people peddling out things as if they are truth, as if they are the gospel themselves? We see it daily. God has a wonderful, loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Is it true that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Sure. Is that the gospel? No. Hey, do lots of good works. You'll earn that. You'll earn that heavenly reward. That's not the gospel. It's false. Even in our own culture today, we see so many things. We see prosperity. If you truly believe you're going you're to be rewarded with material goods, that's not the gospel. Even today, we'll see so many, even self-proclaiming conservative Christians say that this is the gospel. CRT is the gospel. Intersectionality is the gospel. Reparations is the gospel. Friends, those things are not the gospel. And they're only gospel issues in as much as they are something that should be omitted from the gospel. Friends, if we want to know the gospel, we must turn to God's word. Paul was really clear in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is, the gospel, you ready? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. And in those short two verses, there is so much packed into that. Man's sin is there. Jesus' death as the, as the punishment for our sin is there. His burial, his resurrection, conquering sin and death is there. And what else is there? In accordance with the scriptures. These are the truths of God's word. These are not inventions of man's own wisdom. And so when Paul says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, he's saying, stay true to the gospel. Do not be distracted by other things that claim to be the gospel. They are false. And then Paul goes on to say, in verse 9, is this gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. What is Paul doing in this context of proclaiming the gospel? He's in prison, he's in chains, he's bound. 
We see it earlier in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He says, "...in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and normality to light through the gospel." By the way, there's another simple proclamation of the gospel. And he says in verse 11, "...for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do." but I am not ashamed. He suffers, yet he's not ashamed because of the gospel. But what is it about the gospel that allows a man in prison chained to have this bold confidence? It's the next thing he states, the word of God is not bound. Paul's chains around his arms, around his feet, him being locked into a prison. He can be held back. His arms can be tied down. He can be kept away from certain people. But even then, that does not bind the word of God. The word of God cannot be bound. Romans 1:16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so why is he not ashamed here? Paul's message throughout all of his letters is so cohesive. He uses the same language in many different places. So, so wonderful when you can actually use the word of God to interpret and understand the word of God. He's not ashamed of the gospel, as he says in Romans either, because he understands it is the power of God for salvation. His ability to speak the gospel, his ability to go from point A to point B, his ability not to be locked in chains is not where the power of the gospel is found. The power of the gospel is found because it is the inspired word of God and cannot be bound. Brothers and sisters, when we consider suffering and not being ashamed for the sake of the gospel. Let us be reminded of those things that are not the gospel and focus on these truths like we see in 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 1 and here in our text in 2 Timothy chapter 9. The gospel, that is something worth suffering for. Share in it. Do not be ashamed of it. And so Paul, here in these first two verses, seeks to remind, to remind Timothy. What we're going to see throughout this text is that remembering Jesus, the faithful judge and eternally reigning king, empowers us to endure in gospel ministry. Remembering Jesus the faithful judge and eternally reigning king empowers us to endure in gospel ministry. And so now in verses 9 and 10, he's not saying, I'm sorry, in verses uh, 8 and 9, he's not simply saying, hey, remember Jesus, because that's a really fun thing to do. No, it's not going to be fun. You're going to suffer but don't be ashamed in the midst of your suffering. What he's encouraging Timothy to do is what he's about to say here in verse 10. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, 
that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is what's at stake. This is why we are to remember and then suffer, share in suffering, and not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? For the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And brothers and sisters, think about what Paul has just said. When we are proclaiming the gospel faithfully, not worrying about what suffering we might endure because of it, not being ashamed, not worrying about our, our physical circumstance, whether it be Paul in prison or pushback from your family, your coworkers, your employers, your friends, if you're a student, your classmates, your teachers, not being worried about them pushing back because the word is not bound. And as we faithfully proclaim the word of God, we do it that the elect, those who might trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, that they might obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And brothers and sisters, regardless of what soteriological spectrum you fall on, non-Calvinist, Calvinist, it doesn't matter. Proclaim the gospel to all, knowing that the power is not in your proclamation, but the power is in the word of God. It is that method by which God has chosen for his people to come to know him. Faithful proclamation of the word by his people. And this is what Paul wants Timothy to do as he remembers Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Endure, endure. And Paul often through this letter says, look at me. I've had to endure. Look at my circumstance. Look where I am now. It's not been easy. Timothy, press on. I'm, 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 I'm about to be out of here. It's you. You've got to carry on the torch. You've got to carry on the gift that's been given to you. Press on. And here in the, uh, the final part of this passage, Paul shares a saying with four really poetic renderings make up this, this saying. And so, so far, Paul has told Timothy, remember. Why remember? That you might endure in gospel ministry. And he gives Paul, Paul gives Timothy even further motivation here in this trustworthy saying. The saying is trustworthy for one, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Again, I don't have to explain this saying to you at all. Paul's already done it for us. David shared that, a little bit of that with us earlier. Romans 6, verses 5 through 11. Romans 6, 5 through 11 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Listen to verse eight. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, again, Paul realizes you don't stop at the cross. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Brothers, sisters, if you've placed your trust in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, you have died with him. And now you live with him. Realize the implications this has for your life. Why might Paul begin here? Do we actually see in other people the moment at which they have died with him? It's something we can't tangibly see. But what flows next in this saying is something we can all put our eyes on. In other words, this second faithful, trustworthy saying here in this short poem shares with us tangible ways in which we can test if we have indeed died with him that we might also live with him. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Don't think that this is a list of things you've got to check off. Okay, yes, I did that. Okay, yes, I've done that. No, if you live, if you have died with him, you will endure. Let your ability to endure or not be the testing of your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you struggle to endure? Sure, we all do. Do you have no desire in your heart at all to endure? From the moment that you have seemingly trusted in Christ, have you been living your life willing to endure? willing to not be ashamed, willing to share in suffering. Brother and sister, I would submit to you this morning, if in your own mind, in your own heart, you think you've trusted in Christ, but have no desire to follow him and experience the things that God's word tells us we shall experience, you have not trusted in him. This isn't, this isn't just simply a matter of sanctification. Well, I'm just not there yet. At some point in our lives, you have to re reflect and think on why does my heart, why has my heart not been changed to desire that which God's word says is good? Consider your own salvation this morning. Reflect on it. It says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. What is this reign? This is a pointing ahead to the eternal hope that we have in Christ. For living, for dying with Christ is not something that only benefits us now. Actually, in a lot of ways, the, the dying with Christ is gonna have a big hindrance on your life in, in, in secular ways. You're gonna suffer. You're gonna have to endure. These aren't pleasant. But when you think about in what enduring means and reigning with him, it's worth it. It's worth it. Think about the analogy again earlier. The good soldier, what does, he do? what does he do? He pleases the one who enlisted him. 
Who has enlisted us this morning, friends? Jesus Christ himself has enlisted us to faithful gospel ministry. Let us live to please him. How do we do that? By one, dying with him. And enduring, running the race, according to the rules, not according to our own ways. And that's going to mean sharing and suffering. Not being ashamed. And then the hardworking farmer. This is the one who ultimately shows what endurance looks like. Because I don't know if how many of you are familiar with farming. I'm not a farmer. I've not done farming. But I know people who have. And it's a really slow, long, tedious process. And sometimes for very little fruit. And what does a farmer have to do? Continue to be patient. Continue to endure. Following the path that he knows is right. And then one day he will share in the first fruits of his crop. The same is true of the believer who endures and perseveres in faithfulness to Christ. We will reign with him. Well, things aren't perfectly rosy in our poem here. The first two things are positive. If we've died with him, we will live with him. That's a good thing. If we endure, we will reign with him. That's a good thing. But look at these last two. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Well, the outlook in this situation isn't, isn't as good as it was in the previous. If enduring with Christ is the fruit of having died with Christ, the result of denying him is that he will deny us. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 10. So everyone, this is Matthew 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. If we have not died with Christ, it means that we have denied him. And what is the fruit? What is the fruit of denying Christ? Is it a life of faithfulness and endurance? You're right. No. It's a life of faithlessness. That's what we see in our last part of this statement. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, let me warn you not to read that and think that Paul here is somehow saying, hey, it's okay if you have a momentary lapse in your faith, it's all right. God's faithful, you're going to be okay. You, you know, once saved, always saved, right? I, I'm not saying you can't find that somewhere in Scripture. There are plenty of places where we can look to God's Word and see, yes, we as God's people will still sin. We will still have momentary lapse in our faith. And does that mean that we have lost the gift of salvation from God? No. But I am telling you, this is not the text to argue that. This text is saying, hey, if we have lives of faithlessness, this is contrasted to the lives of endurance. 
If we have lives of faithlessness, he remains faithful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. It does pose the question now, in in what way is God faithful? Well, God's faithful in all ways. And that means even in his judgment, he is faithful. Why? And this applies to this entire saying. For he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. Think about this. You live a faithless life, not enduring, having denied him. But he turns around and grants you eternal life for that, having denied Christ, having never placed your trust in Christ, though perhaps outwardly you express that. And he turns around and gives you the gift of eternal life. He can't do that. And it's not because he's powerless. It's because he cannot deny himself. He is faithful to keep his word. And as he seeks to be faithful to keep his word, it means that those who have trusted in Christ, in Christ's redemptive work of his death, burial, and resurrection, covers those who by faith have trusted in him. Yes, their sins are covered. And he is just in that redemption because someone, Jesus Christ himself, the perfect holy one, took the sins upon himself. So yes, God is faithful and just when he allows us to have eternal life, even though we are sinners, because our sin has been paid for. But those who reject Jesus, those who deny him, and by the fruit of lives of faithlessness, show that he is also just by keeping them out of his holy place that we as believers in Christ await today. Let this poem be a test for you in your own lives. As we think about remembering Jesus, as we think about enduring in gospel ministry, and as we see uh, these marks, if you will, of those who have faith and those who don't, let that be a test in your own life. Am I enduring in gospel ministry? Or is my life more indicative of faithlessness? Let it be a test for you. Observe your own life. And when you doubt, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. His conquering work allows us to have reign with him, not because of our own merit, never for a moment think that, but because of his own redemptive work. Remember Jesus, and also remember We are a forgetful people. Always be remembering. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we turn our attention to responding to your word, Lord, I pray that we have been held captive by the truths you have shown to us through it. Thank you for this call to remember. Thank you for this letter, this final letter to Timothy. Lord, if we were to continue reading that letter, we know that soon you would see, that soon we would see Paul saying that he has indeed finished the race. 
What a joy it is to know that our brothers and sisters who have gone before us and have faithfully served you, Lord, have the benefit of reigning with you. And Lord, for us who have trusted in you and demonstrated in our lives by faithful endurance and ministry, gospel ministry, Lord, help us in this task. We know it is difficult. We know it will be easy to give in to the culture pushing back at us. But Father, help us. We are thankful that you have sent your spirit as our helper. That Lord, as we read your word, we're continuing to be shaped by your spirit and conformed into the image of your son. Lord, continue to help us in this great task. For just a moment, I would encourage you, friends in this room, Consider the trustworthy saying, if you have died with him, are you also enduring? Or is your life more characterized by faithlessness? If you're enduring, know that there will come a time when you will forget what you are doing and why you're doing it. Remember Jesus. And if you struggle with enduring, as we all do, if you think that your life might be more indicative of faithlessness, realize that today and press on, endure, share in suffering. I pray for you that God would indeed sanctify your heart and your life as you seek after that. This morning, there are a number of ways in which you might respond to the word of God. One, perhaps through this text, you've, you've clearly heard the gospel proclaimed and you realize that you've not trusted in that gospel. Myself and Pastor Lewis are available. We'd be glad to talk to you about what it means to trust in Christ. But friends, know that anyone in this room around you would be thrilled to have that conversation with you. Feel free to turn to your neighbor. Feel free to invite a family out to lunch. Bring that up. And secondly, maybe uh, you have been visiting Woodlawn Baptist Church and you realize that this is a place where the believers of God sit underneath sound doctrine, are encouraged and exhorted in the biblical right ways to serve God. And you realize this is where you need to be, not because of some special calling, but because you see the fruit of God's word evidenced in the life of this people. We'd be glad to talk to you about membership in this body as well. And then lastly, perhaps there's just something weighing upon your heart this morning and you would like us to pray with you. We'd be, li- we'd be delighted to do that as well. Father, this morning, as we seek to be faithful to you, help us to submit ourselves to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.